Welcome back, everyone, to another segment of Rabbi Jeff Spirky Abashir, where we attempt to understand the meaning behind the instructions of our sages and how it's relevant to our lives today. We do this, of course, using the thoughts of our teachers before us and try to make them applicable to our times. Feel free, please, to contact me with any comments or questions at rjfromlj at aol.com. Today's Mishnah is Perek Aleph, Mishnah Ches and Tes, Chapter 1, Mishnah 8 and 9. Here, that one of them is the Nasi, one of them is Yad Bezdin, the first one and the second one. We will talk about that in a few minutes. Yehuda ben Tabe v'shim v'shadach kibu mehem, Yehuda ben Tabe omer, al tas atzachot ke'archi adeyonim, don't make yourself like the, like the lawyers, kishiyiyu bali adin omdim lefanecha, and when the bali din are standing in front of you, when the litigants are standing in front of you, yiyu ve'enecha kirishoyim, you should see them as wicked. Meaning that they could, they could lie, they could cheat, they could say anything they want, um, and therefore you have to really be chokir, you have to ask questions, you have to be suspicious, you have to, you, you, you can't doubt, you can't treat them in any kind of negative way, but you have to be, your eyes have to be open. Um, and when they leave you, meaning they accept your judgment and they walk away from you, then you can you have to, you have to see them both as being zakai, both as being, as being meritorious, even though one of them was, one of them was wrong. One of them was trying to take money illegally out of another person. One of them had a red case, one of them had the wrong case. Nevertheless, you have to see them both as Zakayim, Kishikibu Alayim as because they accepted the judgment. It's a, it's a funny Mishnah. First of all, what are you, what are you talking to the, to, you're talking to the judges. Pirkei is not to the judges, Pirkei is to the people. So, so what is, what, what's being said here? That's problem number one. Um, problem number two, is that the ones, first of all, don't make yourself like Archi Adayanim, hard to know exactly what that is. We'll discuss that, but it's hard to know. And when the Bali Dinim are in front of you, you should see them as Rishoyim. What? You see them as suspicious. Why do you have to call them wicked? You know, it's, it's just not, it just doesn't seem like the right kind of thing that you look at them and you say, oh, those guys, that guy, he's a wicked guy. Why wicked? Just suspicious, somebody who's capable of doing things. Why are we saying wicked? And then we go to the opposite extreme when they walk away from you. So then you have to look at them as if, they were zakayim, but not because they one of their no, not because they both they were both right, but because and it sounds very self-serving because they accepted your judgment and they liked what you said. So then, therefore, you know what you can accept them. You have to you have to see them as zakayim. That's it's just it's it's just weird. The mission is odd. Then Shimon ben Shetach says, "Have you You should um, judge the witnesses. You should ask them a lot of questions." You should do hakira, you should do interrogation. But be very careful with your words. Because maybe they're going to learn how to lie from you. Okay, um, again, the, the, the focused on the, on, on the judges, focused on the judicial system, seems weird that that's who we're talking to. But let's understand context a little bit, and then maybe we can understand where, where this mission begins. And hopefully we can we can do that now. The um, these two Shimon ben Shetach and Yehuda ben Tabai were two major personalities in the judicial system um, in that in that period of time. This was um, this was during the time of Yanai of King Yanai. This was still during the time of the Temple, 
and um, they, they played a, tr a tremendous role in developing the rabbinic system of judges. So there's a Gemara that tells us that there was a case of 80 witches, and they were, the 80 witches were found guilty, and Shimon ben Shetach ruled that they, they all had to be killed on, um, on the same day, you know, a witch is a capital crime, and that they had to be killed on the same day. Now, usually you don't do more than two capital cases on the same day, so that each one will receive the, the appropriate kind of considerations and to find a reason to acquit. So we don't do more than two capital cases in one day. Here, they, he, he, he decided to do 80, 80 capital cases in the same day. And the, he also he flew in the face of the fact that there was a majority opinion that felt that women are not hung. That is, we don't give capital, all capital punishments to women, and we don't hang them. And so the question, of course, is that why did Shimon Shetak rule that these women should be hung, these 80 witches should be hung? Because um, it was an extrajudicial decision. It was an ace lasso, Hashem, a time to act for God. He favors our Sometimes you have to go against the Torah. That the, the, time, the, the time required it. Meaning that he was he needed to establish himself as the, the leader. He needed to establish the Torah as being the leader. He needed to establish that certain of these things were wrong and capital crimes. And he needed he needed to get the country back on its feet. And therefore, and, and to, to get it back on its feet in its respect for judges and for the Torah system, which we'll see why that that it wasn't wasn't so easy. Um, and therefore the the, the Gemara says that he that he ruled um, this way. He was usually he was very, very much in the lines, but over here he felt that he had to make a point, and because he had to make a point, then he had to he had to kill them. Look, there was a time Shimon Ben Shatach said that I, I can't judge this case, a particular case, because there was a fellow running with a knife and he ran after another fellow. He ran into a building and then they, they found a dead guy and they found him with a bloody knife. But they couldn't try the case in the court of law because you, you have to you have to witness the uh, the action happening and they couldn't see the action happening. So he said, we can't do it. We can't, we can't judge her. Even though, again, he was trying to establish the, the Torah law, but he couldn't. There were, there were lines. Over here, he felt that he needed to, to, to bend those lines in order to be able to make a point. In actuality, the case didn't really work out so well for him because in the, the, the Talmud says, first of all, the Talmud says that he had, they, they, they branded him as somebody who has impulsive hands. To kill 80 people in the same day, that's pretty wild. We don't kill one person in 70 years. To kill 80 people in one day, that was considered a little impulsive. According to the rabbis, they felt it was impulsive. The truth is he was right. He needed to do this. However, there was tragic consequences. And the consequences were that these witches, um, that, that some, of the, some of the colleagues of these witches accused his son. They wanted to get back at him. So they accused his son of a, of a capital crime. And they found him guilty. And they, uh, they, they wanted to... Um, they, they, they wanted to put him to death. So they brought him out. They, 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 the, the Sanhedrin had, had found him guilty, so they took him out to, uh, to, to be uh, put to death. And as they were taking him out, the witches confessed that they had lied. So Shimon ben Shattach said that if that's the case, so then this whole case should be thrown out. And his son said to him that you can't do that because we have another law. And the other law is, is that once you have um, you have told the, once you have told your testimony, and the, the testimony was accepted, you can't undo that testimony. The case was the, the, the case was was judged, and they were put to death. You can't, and they, they were meant to be put to death. You can't undo that. 
And if that's the case, his son said to him, you need to kill me. You need to follow through with this, um, with this punishment because otherwise people are going to, um, people are going to look at the laws and the law makers as being very, very self-serving and subjective. And therefore the law has to stand above all other considerations. That's pretty incredible, a pretty incredible event. Okay, Yehuda ben Tabai also had an event. So Yehuda ben Tabai, in their time, there were many tzedukim. The tzedukim, the Sadducees, were the ones, we spoke about them, and we're going to speak more about them, but they were the Sadducees, were the ones who believed in the written Torah, not in the oral Torah. And they were, I'll tell you a, a, a classic difference between the Sadducees and the, and the Pharisees. It's coming up now. Um, the, the Torah says, The day after Shabbos, you should count 50 days. Now, that's Sfiris Omer, the counting the Omer from Pesach to Shavuos. Now, the only problem is the Torah says, Mi Shabbos, on the day after Shabbos, you should count 50 days. Why the day after Shabbos? Pesach was not on a Shabbos. That's not when we left. We left on a Thursday. So why are we saying Mi Shabbos? So we say that the first day of Shabbos was considered, the first day of Pesach was considered like a Shabbos day because we were young Shikula Shabbos, the day of miracles, and then it was considered like a Shabbos day. And if that's the case, so then... The Torah is telling us from the day after that Shabbos, in quotation marks, right? The day after that incredible day, that's when you start counting 50 days. And that means on the second day of Pesach, we start counting the Omer. 50 days later, that's when Shavuos is going to be. Now, the Sadducees don't have the oral tradition. So for them, when it says, by them, it's on Sunday, the day after Shabbos. So if Pesach starts on a Thursday, so they're going to start counting Sfira not on, on uh, Saturday, they're going to start counting Sfira on so on Monday, because it's me uh, on Sunday, excuse me, because me Machras or Shabbos, day after Shabbos, that's when Tispur Hamishim Yom. So if Pesach falls on a Sunday, we'll start counting Sphira on Monday, they will start counting Sphira seven days later on Sunday. And therefore, our Shavuos is going to come out very differently, us and the Sadducees. We spoke about the Sadducees also, the difference between the, the Pharisees and the Pharisees was, or the Pharisees was also about the, uh, the, the way that the sacrifice was done on Yom Kippur. Now, all of these were, these were just tips of the iceberg. Everything, because they didn't have any rabbinic, rabbinic interpretations. They didn't have any of the trashos that we have. And therefore, there were tremendous differences between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And there was tremendous tension between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There's another difference that we have. We know that when two witnesses walk into court and they say, we saw Bob kill Bill on a certain day, so then we accept their testimony. Well, we check it out, obviously, we do it, and then we accept the testimony. Two other witnesses come into court and they say, wait a second, Bob couldn't have seen, the, 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 these witnesses could not have seen Bob kill Bill because these witnesses were up in, us in Chicago on that day. And therefore, they could not have witnessed this event happen. It could very well be it happened. It could very well be that Bob is, is guilty. But they couldn't say that Bob is guilty because they were with us in Chicago on that day. That's called Eidim Zomimim. That is called a special kind of Eidus, a special kind of testimony, which what happens there is, that you do to the witnesses that which they tried to do to the defendant. They tried to get the defendant killed, and therefore you do to them exactly what they tried to do to the defendant. There is a Pharisee-Sadducee argument as to whether you do this, that you do to them that which they attempted to do to their brother, which means that if they attempted to get him killed, they get killed. But if they actually got him killed, if the case was over and they got him killed, even though they're found to be an imzomen afterwards, nothing you can do about it. 
the guy's dead already, they don't get killed. They only get killed if they get caught before the guy is put to death. That's the Pharisee way of understanding it. The Sadducee way of understanding it is just the opposite. That, that you look at what they did. So if they only attempted to try to kill him, then that's not going to be enough to kill them, the, the lying witnesses. But if they actually got the guy killed, so the defendant killed, so then they themselves have to be put to death. So Yudemen Tabe had a case, and he wanted to make a point to the Sadducees, so he ruled with an iron fist, and he said, this guy has to be put to death, and they put him to death, even though it was, it was like the Pharisees, like the good way, and everything was perfect. He made, he's like stuck a finger in the eye of the Sadducees, and he said to them, ha ha, this is the way we rule. Yeah, it was only one small problem. We also know that you can only kill Adam Zomin if they are Adam Zomin. There has to be two of them. If one of them is found to be an Adam Zomin, so let's say two witnesses come into court and they say, well, we don't know anything about Harry, but we do know that Sam couldn't have been a witness because he was with us in Chicago. So they've destroyed that group of witnesses, but they have not turned them into Adam Zomin because you need to be amazing both guys. You need to make both guys, both witnesses, into Adam Zomin. So, so Yehuda ben Tabai, in his haste to stick a finger in the eye of the Sadducees, made a terrible blunder. And his blunder was, is that he killed a person illegally. So what, what, what happens next is really, to me, the best part of the story, because he, he vows that he is never going to rule again. He's never going to make a judgment again unless Shimon ben Shetach is on his side. In other words, he took it very seriously. He took responsibility. He said, my impetuousness is no good, and I can't be, I can't be a judge. I can, I can have somebody looking over my shoulder. I could be you know, sort of like an apprentice. I can, I can do it, but there's somebody else who's going who's gonna to back me. But I can't do this on my own. And every single day, Shimon Shetach went to the grave with this person, and he would prostrate himself in the grave and ask him mechila. Because even though the person was found to be an Eidzomeim, but he was killed illegally. And Yudha ben took this very, very seriously. Now, given all this, it is then understandable what they said, that they're talking to judges. Because this was a time that they were trying to establish the law and the law in the land. They were trying to establish rabbinic Judaism. They were trying to establish, and I don't use that in the pejorative. Many times rabbinic Judaism is used in the pejorative. I'm using that in a very positive way. But they were trying to establish the Sanhedrin, the Rabbanon, the, the, the way of law, the rule of Torah. And therefore, they had to give rules about all these dishonest and deceitful people that were coming into the court. But let's take it first, further. Because um, he was a, a fierce guardian of the law. He was the brother-in-law of Yanai HaMelech. Yanai HaMelech was one of the, um, one of the Hasmonean kings um, from the, from the, the, ultimately from the Maccabee family, and they established themselves as kings, in not, not in a good way, uh, but established themselves as kings after um, the story of Hanukkah. They usurped the kingdom. They were not allowed to be kings because they really ultimately were from the family of Kohanim, and therefore, they only from the tribe of Judah are you allowed to be kings. Nevertheless, they took over. And that was his brother-in-law. His wife um, was the, the king's wife, was the sister of um, Shimon Shetach. Now, the, the problem is, is that um, he, had, he once had a case with, Shimon, with, uh, with Yanai. And the king 
his, the king's slave ended up killing somebody. So Yana had to come to court. So Yana comes to court, and being the person that he was, he sat down in court. Now, you're not allowed to sit down in court. So Shimon Shetach said to him, you have to stand up. And the king said, no. And Shimon Shetach was not afraid of anybody. He was not afraid of his brother-in-law, was not afraid of the king, was not afraid of anybody. If it's right, it's right. And, and as we're going to see in a little bit, that he was, a, again, a fierce guardian of Torah and of the law. So he says to um, he says to his brother-in-law, he says to his brother-in-law, uh, to King Yanai, that he has to sit up. So he, and he says, he has to stand up and he says no. So Shimon Shetach turns to the Sanhedrin and he asks their opinion. And every single one of the members of Sanhedrin lowered their head because they were all Sadukim, they were all Sadducees. And therefore they were all um, sort of in with the king and they, they didn't want to say anything. As it turns out, that Shimon Ben Shetach was, uh, Yanai Amelech was so incensed by this that he ended up killing many of the rabbis. And it happens to be that because of this rule, they, they, because of this, they made a rule that a king is not allowed to judge or be judged, and testimony can't be accepted against him. Okay, but that's like a, like a side thing. So he went on a rampage and he started killing rabbis. So even Shimon and Shetach, his brother-in-law, had to get out of there. So he, he went down and ran down to Egypt. So eventually, Yanai liked the tzaddikim, the tzaddikim, excuse me. But on his deathbed, he told his wife that she should hang out with the rabbis because the rabbis can be trusted, they're not hypocrites. So even in the end of his days, um, Yanai Amelech understood how terrible the, the Sadducees were. The Sadducees weren't just that they had an off philosophy, but that their whole, it really affected their entire, their entire personalities. When he died, Shimon Shetach sent for the rabbis. And he sent for Yehuda ben Tabe to come back. When Yehuda ben Tabe came back, he made him the Nasi, and Shimon ben Shetach became the Abbezdin. If you look at these two Mishnayas, the first one is Yehuda ben Tabai, the Nasi, and the second one is Shimon ben Shetach, the Abbezdin. Only problem is, is that after Yehuda ben Tabe made his mistake, and he ended up killing the um, defendant illegally, so then um, they, they switched, and because he, he wasn't going to rule anymore. So therefore, Yehuda ben Tabai became the Abbezdin, where Shimon ben Shetach became the Novi. Alexandra took over, Alexandra the Malka took over, and she, was, she, she ruled. After Yanai died, Shimon ben Shetach was the de facto ruler of the Jewish people. He spent a lot of energy removing the Tztukim one by one. So we would call the Tztukim, we would ask them to, he would ask them to rule on something, and then he would ask them for proof where it comes from the Torah, but they couldn't give that. So therefore, he was able to get rid of them. And one by one, he removed them. And one by one, he was able to reestablish Torah law back into the, um, into the Sanhedrin. One of the things that the Tzutukim wanted to do was that they only wanted the priests to be educated. And Shimon Shetach established the system of education. Do you ever look in the Torah and wonder that there is no such thing as Jewish school in the Torah? Do you ever notice that? There's no provision made for Jewish school. Which means that anything that we do inside of our school, our educational system, is based on, on certain principles, perhaps, that we're calling from the Torah. The Torah doesn't say a word about educational system. It doesn't say a word about schools. So what did Shimon Chetach do? Shimon Chetach understood that, um, that it was necessary, because there were, a lot of, there were a lot of orphans, that it was necessary to teach. Because well, what's the Torah system of teaching? Mishinatam Levanecha, teach it to your kids. It's parent to child, parent to child, parent to child. That's the, that's the educational system. One parent, one child, or two children, whatever, 17, whatever. But it's, but it's, but it's one-to-one. It's a family, a family affair teaching. But, but Shimon Shetan looked at him and said, but there's a, lot of, there's a lot of orphans. So what are we going to do with the orphans? So they decided to set up like regional schools for the orphans. orphans. 
Yeah, but the kids with dads looked at that and said, oh, that's a good idea, right? We could send our kids there also. So they, they started sending their kids to, to those schools also. And then eventually they started to set up schools in like every chutzner and every courtyard. And he established an educational system for the Jewish people. Okay, so, so the Shem Mechetach, Shem Mechetach was a was a fierce warrior for the furtherance and the continuance of the Jewish people. Just tell you an interesting thing, that there were grains of, the, the, in, the, in Shem Mechetach's time, it says that there were grains of wheat that were the size of beans or the size of eggs. The only problem with that is, is that there was another famous story that happened in the time of Shem Mechetach. And what was that famous story? The famous story was Choni Amagel, Choni the Circle Drawer. One day, I will go through the whole story of Choni Amagel, because it's one of the, it's, it's just a beautiful story, but it doesn't make a lot of sense. Listen to Choni's name. You know, a lot of times rabbis are given the, their profession. They're called, you know, you, you the nafcha, right? We give the, the professional, the, we talked about this the other day, or the place that they come from. So what was this guy's profession? You, it was Choni Hamagel, the circle drawer. What exactly is a circle drawer? Which college do you go to to get a degree in circle drawing? Well, what does it mean? He drew circles. Hmm, you should go, you need a circle? You should go hire Choni. Like what, what just, I don't understand what that means. It was a circle drawer. Clearly, to call him Choni Hamagel, there was some kind of, something that was telling us, and there is, just not for today. So, so anyway, Choni Amagel, he starts to rain, they call Choni Amagel, he goes up on the, on the Temple Mount, near the Temple Mount, draws a circle, stands in a circle, says to God, I'm not getting out of here until it rains. It was a famine, you know, a terrible time, no, nothing to eat. So I'm not getting out of here until it rains. Okay, so, so it starts to drip a little bit. Choni Amagel looks up at God and says, that's not what I was talking about. So God lets it down, rains cats and dogs. Choni Amagel says, and that wasn't what I was talking about either. And I'm only paraphrasing a little bit, by the way. He actually spoke in, in very strong language to God, and he said to him, you know, that's not what I mean. And God made it rain good, and everything was fine, and everybody lived happily ever after. Shimon ben Shetach sends him a message, and he says to him, that if you weren't Choni Amagel, I would have shut you down. How could you talk to God like that? But it seems like God accepts the way you talk to him, because he listened to you, and therefore I can't say anything about you. Okay. The only problem is those two stories contradict each other. One is saying that in the time of Shimon Shetach, there was great abundance. And then the other says in the time of Shimon Shetach, there was terrible famine, terrible drought. So I think that the Territ says is that we're talking about the two periods of Shimon Shetach's life. In the beginning of Shimon Shetach's rule, it was all about Sadducees. It was all about Sadukim. And that's what these Mishnayas are talking to. These Mishnayas are talking to dishonest people. These Mishnayas are not talking to judges. That's one place we ought to meet this dishonesty. It's talking to you and I in shysters. When you come across a person, you have, to, you have to be trusting on the one end, but you have to be discerning on the other end. You've got to listen carefully to what a person's saying. You've got to be careful not to say things that will teach them how to lie. You've got to be careful not to, not to step over a line, but you've got to be careful. Don't, don't be so trusting in the sense that you become vulnerable. You have to listen with an ear open. When they're standing in front of you, they have to be like Rishoyim. They're capable of anything. But when they leave you and they, and they are accepting of Torah, they are accepting, that's the biggest thing. They don't have to become, they don't, they don't have to be religious, but that they're accepting of Torah. So then, they, then that's enough. That's what we're looking for in people. Be accepting of Torah, then you grow however you want to grow. And that's Kishikiba Aleim Asadin. That's what he was saying at the end of the Mishnah. Shimon ben Shetach says the same kind of thing. Have you marbelach kors edim? You have to really ask a lot of questions. You've got to be a little suspicious. 
And, but, but you have to be careful. You don't teach them the wrong thing. This was the first part of Shimon ben Shetach's life. The first part of his life was that he had to fight tooth and nail, cats and dogs, to get me back, to put Torah back where it has to be. But then once he, and, and during that period of time, that's where there was a famine. And that's where Chania Magal had to come and he had to, had to pray to God. But then once he got rid of the Tzduk and the Sadducees, now the land of Israel was able to enjoy the blessing that God had promised it. And when he kicked them out, now everything was blessed. He returned the Kesha, the crown of Torah, back to its place. How do, you keep, how do you return the Torah, the crown of Torah, back to its place? Keep your eyes open and be discerning. Don't be a sucker. Don't get suckered into things. Don't, go, don't just go blindly after things. Have Somebody can come to you and tell you, I'm giving you, I'm witnessing, I'm telling you this is the way it's supposed to be. You don't have to do it in an offensive way to them. You got to do it in your head. You have to be chayker. You have to think. You have to discern. You have to stand on your own two feet and look at things and consider things from your own, from your own eyes and from your own mind. And that's what Shimon and Shetach and Yehudim and Tabe, that's what their legacy that they left us. Without going into the details of the Mishnah, that's what they gave us. They gave us this idea that you cannot just take things at face value. You need to be discerning. You need to be objective. You need to look at it from every angle. And then you can make a decision. Okay. And I got it on time. That's my, my thoughts for today. This is, um, for me, I've enjoyed very much the, the past couple of weeks. Um, who knows what's going to be after Pesach. Um, for me, I'm, I mean, I'm fine, but who knows what's going to be with, uh, with work and jobs and the world. But, um, but I think that right after Pesach, I think Pesach ends on a Thursday. Am I correct on that? Or is it another one? I think last day of Pesach is on a Thursday. Wednesday. In America. Oh, right. I'm sorry. So, so Thursday after Pesach, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. We'll send out a, a, a reminder to everybody. Um, but I'm, uh, I'd be good Thursday after Pesach. And, um, and we'll come back to this mission. I have some details that we have, to, we have to deal with here. And again, if nobody minds, I'm going to use the, um, the uh, WhatsApp just to send a link to um, to Shabbos and Goladrash, some other shurim, you, you listen to him, you listen to him, you don't listen to him, it's also great. But, uh, but, I but the, the, up so, on the, it's up on our chat already. The, um, the Shabbos and Goladrash is up on the chat. Oh, it's up on the chat already. You're at Saturday. Yeah. Uh, part one and part two? Yep. Yes. Wow, amazing. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Okay, awesome. Everyone should have a chag, kosher v'sameach, should have a wonderful... Gam lecha, gam lecha. And this year should be, even though and some of us might be just one or two people, this year we have a chance, as you can hear in the drasha, we have a chance to pull back on ourselves, to, to really refocus ourselves so that next year when we get everybody back at our table, so we have, we have a whole new outlook and a whole new perspective on what Pesach is all about. And that's what the Seder, the Seder has the opportunity, even if we're sitting alone, has the opportunity to be able to give that to us. Through sitting, thinking, just just re-examining, what does all of this mean to us? Okay, beautiful. Amen. Okay, my pleasure. Thank you. Chag kasher v'sameach. Chag kasher v'sameach.